0: Morning, everyone. That person crying has heard me before, by the way. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Mike, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's a great joy to be with you this day, this Christmas Eve, and we'll be back again tomorrow morning. Uh, I want to tell you about something that happened once upon a time. There was a Yorkshire primary school who were practicing a nativity play in the it the end of term and the children had practiced for weeks, you know, trying to learn their lines and where you had to stand, what happened at which each point point. and finally the big day came and the children were there and all the parents were there and they were all filming it, you know, and there's somebody dressed up as a donkey and they, they're, the crucial moment, the boy who was playing, Joseph, completely forgot his lines. A lot of us have done this. It's just a terrible feeling. He completely forgot his lines and he and Mary were standing looking into the crib and he couldn't think of anything to say. And it went quiet and it was all a bit embarrassing and people were trying to whisper something and finally the teacher said, just say something. And he looked into the crib and finally said in a broad Yorkshire accent, E, doesn't he look like his dad? Now, Was that boy right or wrong about the baby Jesus? The answer is yes. He was wrong and right. He was wrong in the sense that Jesus of Nazareth looked nothing at all like Joseph, son of David, the carpenter who was pledged to be married to Mary but not married to her. You could stare at baby Jesus all day long and not discern any of Joseph's distinctive features. Nobody ever said about Jesus, oh, he's got your nose. Because he didn't look like it. He wasn't his biological father. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ did not have a human father. He was a completely unique person, a one-off. His conception was supernatural. In some traditions, it's called the immaculate conception. The Bible speaks of it in terms of creation. The Holy Spirit of God overshadowed the the body of a virgin and caused the cre- creation of a unique person who had a mother. Now Jesus, here's the thing, may not have looked like Joseph, but he actually did look a lot like you. In this sense, he was a proper human being. He wasn't just God dressed up and pretending to be a human being. He was a proper human. Uh, but a, big, a human with a big difference, which is this. He was God incarnate. We find that in some of our Christmas carols, this funny word, incarnate. You probably don't hear it the rest of the year, but you've probably heard of chili con carne. Chili with meat. Carne is flesh. Chili with flesh. So that's why if you see a restaurant that says veggie con carne, you know they don't know Spanish. <laughs> veggie with flesh. See, Jesus was incarnate, God in the flesh, fleshed a unique person, but fully human. Now, I just want to say here, I realize that for some of you here, I'm only three minutes in, I'm already heading into crazy land with the fairies. (laughs) Perhaps for some of you here, the whole idea of God is just problematic. You look at the damage and the conflict caused by religions, and it makes you very skeptical. You look at the hate and the hypocrisy of some of the so-called followers of God. And you think, well, that's no good. You see scandals in churches and religious institutions. Then you look around the world and you see suffering. You see poverty, injustice. And to you, it just does not add up to the existence of a supreme being who is loving. Am I right? A friend once said to me, the the words God and logic don't belong in the same sentence. Perhaps you're beginning to think, or you already think, that the world would be a better place if we just dropped the idea of God altogether. Now, if that's you, I know I can't persuade you this morning, but I do want to say we're glad you came to church today for whatever reason. I want to say, will you give me 22 minutes? 22 minutes, because I want to just paint a picture of what God is really like according to how he's revealed himself to us in the Bible. You may choose to reject this, but I'd much rather you rejected the real thing than a caricature. Did Jesus looked just like his dad. The Yorkshire lad was dead wrong. Jesus looked nothing like Joseph, son of David. But actually, he was also dead right. Jesus of Nazareth did look like his father, just like him, because he looked like God. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The exact representation of his being. So God is invisible, but you could see Jesus. He's the image of him. And he's not just a kind of sort dubious copy. He's the exact representation of God. So what Jesus did shows us what God is like. So if you've ever wondered what God was like, you can know by looking at and meeting Jesus Christ. And you can do that. You can start doing that now. It's as if God has entered the building. Jesus Christ, both fully man and fully God. So what is he like? What is God like? At this time of year, we enjoy singing Christmas carols. I love them, music and the singing today. Thank you, musicians. Some of these carols contain such profound and beautiful expressions of Christian truth. I think it's a shame that we, some of them we only sing them at Christmas. One of my favorites was written 304 years ago by a man called Isaac Watts. I'm sure you know it. It goes like this. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Very hard to sing. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and heaven and nature sing you see you're in good voice now what does it say at the end of it he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness And wonders of his love, and wonders of his love, and wonders, wonders of his love. Well done! Merry Christmas! The wonders of his love. That's how it ends. Joy to the world because of the wonders of his love. His love is wonderful. So if we ask, what is God like? Here is one of the most profound teachings of the Bible, and it's actually one of the shortest statements. God is love. God is love. That thing that we need most in life, the thing that if we lack it, we wither and perish, that thing that makes us come alive when you know you're loved, Comes from God because that is who He is in His very essence. God is love. And what we find in this passage that Sophie read for us is expressions of God's love in three phrases. They're all taken from the things that the angel says in verse 10 and 11. If you want to follow along, we're in Luke chapter 2. And I just want to look at what this angel says to the shepherds. He says, Great joy. He says, A savior is coming. And he says it's for everyone. Great joy, a saviour for everyone. In fact, our friends have put that up on the screen for us there. There's three things that show us about the wonders of God's love. There is, the angel says, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. When was the last time you heard some news that made your face light up with joy? My son has been working in a company for a few months. He's doing really well. The company's doing really well. Just this week, he got a letter in the post from the company which said, we've had a really good year and you've got a bonus, much more than anyone expected. I saw his face light up with joy. What about these things? You've got an A star. The scan was all clear. We'd like to offer you the job. It's a girl. There's good news that makes us light up with joy, and we love it. And here's something that we learn about God here, God's love. What is he like? He loves to fill your heart with great joy. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And that, I think, is the opposite of what most people think about God, isn't it? That's not the first thing they think about when they think about God. Most people think that God and joy don't belong on the same page. The late Christopher Hitchens said, I think it would be rather awful if it was true. If there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock divine supervision and invigilation of everything you did, you would never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. It would be like living in North Korea. Now, there's certainly no joy in that vision. And you know, a lot of people who do believe in God also don't think he causes great joy. I visited the Roman Catholic Cathedral in Santiago in northern Spain, Santiago de la Compostela, with some Roman Catholic friends. And we went into this majestic place. People walked for miles and miles to do a pilgrimage to this cathedral. And afterwards, after my friends had been in and they'd crossed themselves and paid their respects and prayed, we went out and we had a lunch of... Iberian ham and lovely Spanish bread and cold beer in the Spanish sun. And one of my companions breathed a sigh of relief and he said, Whew, that was a bit intense in there. You see, even though they were believers, there wasn't much joy in it. In the cathedral, there was only confession and contrition. You got joy over lunch afterwards. But listen to the angel again. I bring you news, good news, that will cause great joy. The first thing we learn about God is that he wants to create joy. That's one of the wonders of his love. And the life of Jesus imaged this. It bore it out. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought joy. Faces lit up. People smiled and were happy. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He relieved the burden, he, he delivered the oppressed. One of his phrases was, be of good cheer, cheer up. People loved to be with him, especially people whose lives were a mess. The broken people, the socially excluded, the sick and the sad, and also the, the, the marginal people, little kids, the poor, lepers. And you know, even though he was a person of the highest integrity and moral purity, Jesus somehow also managed to be the kind of person everyone wanted to be around. Wherever he went, there were crowds. He, because he caused joy. He wasn't kind of po-faced and religious. He was amazingly alive. In fact, he was the most fully human human being who ever lived. And so his life was a window into what God is like. And therefore what the future will be like. Jack Lewis was a a brilliant scholar, Oxford and Cambridge scholar, and he was a convinced atheist as an adult. In 1929, he took a friend, a walk with his friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, you might have heard of him. I had a dream that I wrote Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and when I woke up, I realized I was Tolkien in my sleep. He went for a walk with Tolkien, and they talked late into the night. They talked about 3 a.m., and they were talking about their fascination with myths, wonderful stories. Lewis said it was sad to think that all the great stories of courage and beauty and sacrifice were all untrue and ultimately worthless, even though they are breathed through silver. And Tolkien replied very strongly, no, he said they're not lies. Myths contain great spiritual truths. They point to spiritual realities that all of our hearts yearn for. And Lewis came to agree with him. And later on, much later in his life, he wrote these words. You perhaps have stood before some landscape which seems to embody what you have been looking for all your life. Even in your hobbies, hasn't there always been some secret attraction which others are curiously ignorant of? Something on the verge of breaking through. The smell of cut wood in the workshop. The clap, clap of water against the boat's side. You have never had it. All the things that have ever deeply possessed your soul have just been hints of it. Tantalizing glimpses. Promises never quite fulfilled. Echoes that died away just as they caught your ear. But if it should really become manifest... If there should be an echo that did not die away but swelled into the sound itself, you would know it. Beyond all possibility of doubt, you would say, here at last is the thing I was made for. Joy. We want it. This year we've been looking at and handing out this wonderful little green book by a local lad who's a member of our church. And he quotes uh, this writer. Saying that it makes no sense to want something that doesn't exist. He wrote this A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Why do we feel a longing for there to be more to life than what we can see? Because there really is more to life than what we can see. and That's the message of Christmas. God has come down and entered into our world and he's brought joy. And so that year, Jack Lewis knelt down in his bedroom and prayed to God and he said, I was the most reluctant convert in England. But later he said, coming to know Jesus, he had been surprised by joy. Do you feel that yearning? Good news of great joy. So what's the good news about? What's this news report? The good news, second, is that Jesus Christ is a saviour. He's a saviour or a rescuer. A saviour has been born to you. And perhaps some of us here are thinking, well, maybe you wouldn't say it because you're too polite. But perhaps you're thinking, I don't think I need saving. Thank you very much. In fact, perhaps... The idea that you need to be saved is offensive to you. Let me just ask you to wait for a moment and I'll ask you three questions. If every website you have visited this year was projected on that screen right now, would you stay for coffee? What percentage of your income have you given away to those in need this year? Charities, the poor, others in need compared to the percentage you've spent on yourself? Have you done anything this year with a completely pure motive? Are you really a good person? Imagine that you had a tape recorder around your neck. For younger people here, a tape was a thing that existed before MP3s. A recorder around your neck. And it only records whenever you tell someone else something like this. You ought to do this. You should do that. You shouldn't do that. It only records when you say it. It only records the things that you said were standards for human behavior. And then on the day of judgment, God sits you down and he says, listen, I'm going to be really generous with you. You've got a special pass. I'm 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 not going to judge you by my standards. I'm not even going to judge you by any other religion. I'm simply going to judge you by your standards of human behavior that you laid on everyone else all of your life. Now let's listen to the tape recorder. You know, there's not a single human being who would pass that test because we all expect things of other people that we don't do. How much less would we pass God's test? It says in the Bible, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. David Foster Wallace was a brilliant writer. He was a professor of English. In 2005, he gave an address at a college in the States. He said, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for choosing a sort of God to worship is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you get real meaning in life, you will never have enough You will never feel that you have enough. If you worship your body and your beauty and your attractiveness, then you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths. If you worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as clever, you will end up feeling stupid. And a fraud, an imposter, always on the verge of being found out. See, David Foster Wallace had great insight into our hearts. Three years later, he hanged himself on his patio. See, according to the Bible, we need saving. We need saving because we don't live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. We need saving from ourselves from all the God substitutes we have that eat us alive but who can save us? there is someone one person his name is Jesus Christ it says here the good news that causes great joy today in the town of David a saviour has been born to you the Messiah, the Lord how does it work? The Bible says that the ultimate source of all of our problems is actually our relationship with God, which is all broken. We're alienated from him. And if you go far enough upstream in your heart, the source of all our woes is that we're alienated from God. And so we are dying inside. And Jesus Christ, the Savior, has come to deal with that problem. He's come to seek and save people who are lost. He's come to bind up broken hearts. He's come to heal the sick. Most of all, he's come to forgive sinners. So if you know that you're lost, broken-hearted, sick, and sinful, Jesus is for you. If you're none of those things, either you're completely perfect or you're not very self-aware. What have we learned today about the wonders of his love? He brings good news to cause joy, and he sent a savior to be born to us. Jesus had to be born so that he could become one of us, so he could identify with us, he could represent us. And he went to a cross to die the death that we deserved in our place so that we might live forever. Our substitute, our saviour. The love of God, the wonders of his love is that he didn't just want to cause joy, he sends a saviour that we need. So thirdly and finally, My final point is this, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. There it is. The good news that causes great joy of a saviour is for everyone. This is not good news that belongs to certain ethnic groups. This is not a European religion or an American religion or an African religion. The gospel is for everyone and it is being embraced by everyone all around the world. We live in an amazing time. People are coming to know Jesus Christ in extraordinary numbers from all sorts of different people groups. As the angel said, it's for all the people. And again, this good news is not a religion that belongs to certain social groups. It's not limited to middle class people or working class people or the rich or the poor. The angel says it's for all the people. And again, this good news is not just for kids or just for the elderly, but for people of all ages. It's for the educated and the uneducated, it's for the healthy and the sick, it's for every conceivable kind of person. This good news is for all the people. And that means one pretty obvious thing, doesn't it? It means it's for you. This good news is for you. It's not just out there somewhere on the pages of the Bible or in history. God has reached into our world for you. No matter what your background. So what are you going to do with it? Do you want to reach out for something deeper this Christmas? Deeper than a few days off work, some new toys, and a period of overindulgence? Do you have the courage to admit that there are things you need saving from? Can you be honest enough to say that if you died tonight and faced God, you'd be in big trouble? What are you going to do with this news? Notice what the shepherds did. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They went and found out. They hurried off and then they spread the word. Now these shepherds were quite an odd choice to make this big announcement to. They were rough young men. They slept rough and they lived outside of town. They smelled of sheep and body odor they were not part of polite society in fact in that culture the testimony of shepherds was not admissible in court they just weren't regarded they weren't the kind of smooth people that the BBC would choose to make the big announcement but God chose these guys to make his big announcement and they they hear this news through angels angelic beings you know I'd love to hear news through an angel as well but I never got an angel. I got a shepherd. I mean, I got an ordinary person with lots of flaws, but someone whose life was undeniably changed. And when I looked at their life, I could see the difference. And I wanted to know more about this good news. Maybe you know someone like that. Yeah, I wonder if you've ever thought, I wonder why this person's different. It's because they've heard the good news of great joy, that a savior has been born to them for all people. So I want to end this message with an invitation to think again about Christmas. If you haven't read it, please pick up one of the green books. It connects our love of family and feasting and fairy tale with God's great story. Will you read it? Page 45 tells you about, you can find out a bit more. In the new year, in January, we're running a course called Hope Explored. Three Tuesday nights here in the cafe and a a free course, light touch, informal, informal, But it would be great to have you and you could learn more. But perhaps there's someone else here today who doesn't need to go on a course. Because you already know the good news. You just haven't accepted the Savior. Can I encourage you to cross the line today into trusting Jesus as your Lord. This Christmas could be the best Christmas ever if you accepted the good news. Of great joy that there's a saviour for you. And if that's you, I'd love to pray with you afterwards. Come and grab me, I'll be at the front. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your goodness to us, your love, full of wonder. And we thank you that you sent Jesus into this world to be our saviour. Amen.